Welcome to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. On the field, off the field, Rounding Third takes you inside Nashville Sounds baseball. Here's your host, Jeff Hem. Welcome to another edition of Rounding Third. It's Jeff Hem here with you. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. And to those of you who have listened to our previous episodes of late, Various levels of the sounds and their parent club, Texas Rangers, have been discussed, and that will continue today with a man whose phone and email never stop, his schedule never lets up. Normally, under a, a regular year, would have come to Nashville probably three or four times in a baseball season. He's involved in just about everything that might involve the Texas Rangers. Director of Minor League Operations for the Rangers, Paul Kruger, is our guest today on Rounding Third. And Paul, it looks like uh, you're joining me from Arizona today, even though everything is centered on Arlington on a national perspective with the World Series. How are you? I'm doing well, Jeff. Uh, it's good to be talking a little bit of baseball with you. And typically, I would have talked multiple times with you um, on air and, and just in person. So it's good to have some normalcy. But yeah, we're out here in Arizona with the uh, Instructional League uh, kicked off with a lot of our young players. And it's just nice to see some live baseball, see some minor league baseball. And frankly, uh, have these guys play against somebody else for a change. Let's start with the World Series, and then I do want to come back to, to the minor league world and, and what Instructional League looks like this year. In, in 2020, we have obviously learned that nothing usually is going to align with what the hope might be or the expectation might be. Uh, you guys would have loved to have hosted the World Series at Globe Life Field in a much different way this year, but it is pretty cool to see the beautiful ballpark uh, with some fans in there on a limited and safe capacity now and, and seeing it on a, a national stage as a neutral site for the World Series. Uh, you're not there locally, as you just said, but what's it like to, to kind of see the attention on Globe Life Field and for you all as an organization to have the responsibility of hosting, you know, baseball's signature event? Uh, it's a, it's really cool, and I, know, I give a lot of kudos to our ownership group, uh, Rob Matt, Matt Wick, Jack Hill, um, the entire design crew and the architectural team. That place is a beautiful piece of work, and, and we're extremely excited about it. And uh, uh, being able to showcase it to a national audience um, throughout the entire playoffs has been huge. To see what we've been able to utilize for our players, what our fans eventually in, in full capacity will be able to experience, it's it's been great. And uh, yeah, we were joking the other day is uh, it's kind of, it's fun that we can see that somebody will become a champion out of our building. We just wish it was ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, we know that time will come, but uh, we couldn't be happier for the business side and um, for everybody who works in our, uh, our stadium ops uh, to be able to showcase what they've been working so hard on over the last three years. And, and I think it's been a great uh, playoff run here over the last three series and it's been we've made a lot of excitement and there are things within that building and within that uh, park you can see the height of the fence played into the design and it was pur purposely done and you see some of the catches that have been made especially by the Dodgers of late um, that have played into the game and that was uh, Mike Daly had a big part of that design of the field design and you can see that playing out uh, in these games, especially in the NLCS and the World Series last night. You led where I was going. I'm curious. I mean, your your world is is baseball and, and the analytics. And uh, as you guys mapped out kind of how you thought the park would play, uh, limited sample size this year, obviously, but how, how have you found between the turf and the dimensions and the wall height, like you mentioned, how has it played out relative to what you guys thought it would be? That's a great question. And, and frankly, we weren't really sure. Obviously, uh, starting with the turf, uh, 
I had the pleasure of working with Jamie Reed um, on that project. Um, Jamie took the lead on it, and we we worked a lot with the University of Auburn um, as well as uh, the turf company to make sure that it was the Shaw turf, make sure that it was the turf was playable. We wanted it to mimic uh, real grass as much as possible, um, and there's actually an organic fill within that grass that or within the turf that makes it feel like um, playing on legitimate grass. So that was huge. Um, we have the ability to to water it like normal grass, like you would. So the way that it plays, it can be it can be really fast. It can be a little bit slower, uh, just like you would do with normal grass. So that was a really big part of what we did. Um, I think from what you're seeing and what you saw when when playing it didn't seem like the ball flew as well uh, when the roof was closed uh, we were never really sure as to how that would play out uh, center field it seemed like might be a little a uh, little bit more difficult to get to than our old ballpark but but then uh, you open the roof and we've already seen some results where the ball flies a little bit more I think it's roughly uh, anywhere from five to ten feet depending on uh, the wind and the jet stream so on and so forth but all of those little things and those little nooks and crannies and the numbers and you can see the different uh, signs out there that they, they all relate to whether it's Adrian Beltre, Michael Young, uh, Pudge Rodriguez and, and, and the distances from home plate. Uh, and that was a big part. We wanted to honor our past uh, while looking forward to the future. And, and I think this park does a lot of that. Thinking about this World Series matchup with the Dodgers and the Rays, for, for me personally and for us here at the Sounds, it's cool to see three really recent sounds uh, in this series, Max Muncie and Joey Wendell from our Oakland days. And then just from last year's club, Pete Fairbanks. I remember talking with you after the Rangers traded Pete to the Rays for Nick Solak. You guys clearly have gotten an everyday big leaguer in, in Nick Solak. The Rays collecting their 100-mile-per-hour throwing bullpen, adding Fairbanks to that. Seems like a, you know the, the proverbial deal that benefits both sides as it's playing out. What are your thoughts about seeing Pete in the World Series and, and thinking about what you guys have seen from Nick this past year? Uh, it's a, that's a great point. I think it was one of those uh, great baseball trades where – uh, we think that both sides truly benefited. Nick was had a tremendous year flipping around from left field to second base and really establishing himself as a, a key cog to our future. And then you look at Petey over at the at Tampa Bay and what he's done uh, in the numerous roles that he's filled and just another one of their their crazy bullpen arms that they've got that seems like their stable just keeps getting loaded, more loaded every single uh, week, really. They have a new guy out there that's going to close the game, but could be happier for, for Pete, could be happier for Nick. I think it's a great situation for both. And I've known Pete since I was at Mizzou. Um, we both uh, – we didn't cross paths, but uh, we both went there and have a lot of uh, ties from there. So very happy for him, very happy for uh, Nick, and hopefully uh, they, he, he does, a, does good in this uh, series here. I'm curious what it's like for you and John Daniels and anybody in baseball operations around Major League Baseball – uh, to watch something like the World Series when it doesn't involve your club. Can you – are you still – I know you're a fan of the game, but can you view the game as a fan, or is it impossible for you guys at this point to kind of turn off the, you know, the scouting and the analytical and how – what does this mean for us, the Rangers? What could this mean for us in some way in 2021? How, how literally uh, do you observe a World Series with your role? I think uh, now that now that I've been in this role for so long, you watch every ball game from kind of our perspective uh, as a baseball operations person. You want to enjoy the just the the the, the World Series, I guess, camaraderie, the, 
the, the, the, the sights and sounds of the World Series, yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. The but, stage. Um, the stage. There's the word I'm looking for. But at the same point, you're watching how they play. You're watching why are they the two final teams? Why are the Tampa Bay Rays? Why are the Dodgers the two final teams? You look at quotes that Mookie Betts throws out there and when Ken Rosenthal uh, last night is asking him about, you know, stealing second and stealing third and what that means and how he knew he could do that. And he's talking about the work he does in spring training and, and during BP to get those jumps and get those reads. And especially being out here with our young guys and typically when the World Series and the playoffs are going on, when we're not in the World Series and the playoffs, I'm out here with these guys. And to be able to take those clips and to point to the small things that we talk about every single day and we harp on what we call winning plays and championship level plays and they're doing them and they're talking about them, there couldn't be a, a more poignant note point that we can make than, hey, look what Mookie's saying. Hey, Cody Bellinger's talking about his defensive work that he does in live reads and, and shagging live in BP, so on and so forth. Those little nuances that, that get lost a lot of times in a box score that we can push to our young players that we hope are in those situations in a couple of years. As you mentioned, you're in Arizona at the Rangers complex as a instructionally happens. And we'll talk about the, the 2020 minor league season that wasn't in a moment, but right now, how different is instructional league from a so-called normal year, either by volume of guys you can or can't have there, whether it's protocols to keep everybody healthy. Uh, how, how different is it this year? Oh, it couldn't be more different than it's ever been. It's, uh, it's been fun, though. I think just to be able to play baseball, first off, is, uh, is, is we're all proud of and we're happy to be out here. But um, typically we'd have about 80 or 90 players doing really three different camps, a, a rehab camp, a camp uh, in which guys are kind of winding down and not really focused on games but focused on their offseason. And then finally, a group of guys that are playing. Currently, we only have 60 total players out here, including rehab. Yeah, uh, we're playing two games a day, uh, roughly four days a week. I'm trying to get as many reps in as possible. And, and instead of focusing on the, the true instructional development of the player, it's more game-like centric. And we're focused more on between the lines. And our practices are set up similarly to how they would in a season, knowing that we're not trying to make up time, per se, from losing a five-month season. What we're trying to do is prepare ourselves for 2021. So Everything we're doing is, is as though we're getting ourselves ready game-wise to, to play, you know, full season here 2021. And, and I think that's been the, the biggest change, but I also think it's been refreshing uh, because uh, it, it's been fun to focus on the games and focus on just the aspect of, of trying to win and trying to develop to win uh, rather than at times during this period of time you're, you're winding down and you're just focused on what are you going to do in the offseason. Right now we're still building towards – we're building towards rather than winding down, if you want to put it that way. We could do an hour on the 2020 season that didn't end up happening and what it's meant in so many ways. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absolutely devastating. It's de devastating for, for us as the affiliate economically and locally and in terms of jobs and revenue and all that. It's obviously devastating for uh, you all as the, as the parent club in all kinds of ways. Uh, I, one of our guests on this podcast back right before it turns out as he was called up was Eli White. And at that time he was at the alternate campsite and he was just talking about his, his brothers and friends around the minor league world who weren't in his shoes, who had nowhere to play, nowhere to get innings, nowhere to get at bats. Um, so I, I, I admittedly, this is open-ended, but what, what have you observed 
um, as a minor league operations director, not having had all your players, most of your players anyway, uh, you know, not, not getting a season and, and just what that means for their own career and what it just means for you all as the Rangers. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't tough. Um, I think it, uh, it's been a really tough 2020. If you want to look at it from a player perspective, you want to look at it from an organizational perspective, you want to look at it from um, changes we've had to make employee-wise and, uh, make and let a lot of good people, unfortunately, either go or furloughed. But, uh, but I think if we want to look at some of the brighter things that have come of this, um, I, I do think there were some successes in the taxi squad, like Eli mentioned. Um, and, and you saw them in our big league club with Eli and Sheridan and Laoti and the list has gone and on. But um, no, those guys that were not there, um, I think we did a really, really good job uh, led by Danny Clark on our pitching side, and Matt Hagan on our position player side of keeping in touch with the, the kids um, throughout the season. Uh, we had check-ins check on them six days a week. A position coach would call twice a week, a conditioning coach twice a week, and then a trainer twice a week to try to – not just to check in and how they're doing baseball wise, but I think uh, what we got a lot out of was just checking in to see how they're doing. I think we all went yeah. through a tough time where we had to stay at home um, and, and we couldn't obviously, you know, there are lockdowns in different cities and you didn't access to, to training facilities, so on and so forth. So just sometimes having that voice was just as important as checking in with them and seeing how they're doing physically. So um, I will say that the kids that came here, I couldn't be more proud of what they look like, where they're at. Um, they did everything they could. Um, we had to set up different programs for different kids based upon where they're truly at and their their uh, their cycle uh, to get ready to play here in middle of September, um, or excuse me, middle of October. But uh, it, it's been it's been a blessing to to be able to play and to get back together. And you you truly understand what it uh, what it feels like and what it means like when something's taken away from you and when you get it back. Back, um, how great it is and how great the sport is and how great the camaraderie we have as a staff and as a unit here in the baseball operations department and our players are included in that. Yeah, the, and, and that's very well said. I think the, the devastation, I think, in all fronts of 2020 is is probably implied by now for anybody listening to this. And, and we're sort of taking this from the angle of purely the baseball standpoint. And, and with that, you know, I started jotting down some names before our conversation, thinking of positives. And, and again, I'm not suggesting that, that you all are happy with how the major league season turned out with the Rangers, uh, high expectations going in, and it, it just didn't work out that way in the standings. But when those scenarios occur, you then do get the opportunity to learn more about some younger players. And it, it, se it seemed like looking at it from afar, that when the wins and losses weren't trending the way you would have wanted, um, you guys were, were honest about it and then really dove in as hard as you could to get the innings and get the at-bats for the guys you wanted it to see more from. You look at uh, Anderson Tejeda and Demarcus Evans getting his major league debut. Jonathan Hernandez was outstanding. Uh, we saw Wes Benjamin and Eli White make their major league debut. Again, I started jotting down names and then the list got – really lengthy from a positive standpoint. You guys got some exposure for a lot of guys we saw in Nashville last year, or in some cases, guys who we probably would have seen here this year, but they were thrust into a unique situation and tried to make the most out of it. No, you're exactly right. And I think uh, uh, we didn't plan on this at all. I think going into the season, we, you know, we were very excited about what we had. And I think a lot of teams were, and unfortunately it didn't work out the way that, uh, we, we thought it was going to. And um, I think I, I give credit to John Daniels and, 
and the work that we did at the trade deadline to make a, make some moves as well as to really point us in the direction that we wanted to go moving forward. And, and we stuck to it. And I think it's going to pay off in the long run. When you look at the names that you mentioned and, you know, Sheridan Apostle, Sam Huff being able to yeah, get up there, Huff. these guys that, that we're, we're really counting on in our future to be big parts of what we want to do and to get their feet wet in the, the craziest of situations that we could have ever imagined. Um, I think we'll play out and we'll benefit them in the long run. And I had the, uh, I had the luxury of being on the last road trip, the nine gamer. And, and although we, you know, I think we went two and seven on that road trip, um, the work that was done uh, was, was something that I think is going to carry us forward. And we were competitive in every game, the early work, the, the discussions that the players are having on the bench, the, the small things that I mentioned earlier that world series teams are doing, we are starting to have those conversations with our young guys and that's not to say that we weren't having them because we were having them previously. But now you get some of the guys that you're hoping are going to be key players in your future, the Tejadas and the Tavares and the names I mentioned before, getting to be in those conversations, getting the experience, what they experienced, the good, the bad, the ugly. I think it's only going to help us moving forward. And, and yeah, you probably would have seen a majority of these guys in a Sounds uniform at some point. But I think Sounds fans can be happy to know that uh, they, uh, even though they weren't there, these these are key cogs that uh, would have been a big part of, of what would have been offered there in Nashville. As we sit here in mid-late October, uh, admittedly a topic that is loaded with unknowns, but what could the minor leagues look like in 2021? Uh, because I think a lot of people have probably seen some articles and heard uh, rumors and possibilities and speculation of realignment of some markets not having a team or going to a different classification with their club. So it, again, here we are with a topic that we could do probably three hours about and still not really come up with anything. Cause I know it's literally in the works right now. Uh, but for you as a minor league operations director, is the, is the picture clearing at all in terms of what major league baseball and the minor league teams around the country might be able to agree on and look like for next year? I wish I had a direct answer, but I don't, I think, uh, I think there's a, a good possibility that there are changes that uh, you know, people have probably read about. Uh, I do think it, it's hopefully for the, the betterment of the game as we move forward. Um, and, and it's, it's going to be changes that we're, we're just excited to get back on the field and, yeah. and understand that uh, the cities in which that have major uh, minor league baseball and that have been key cogs and in, in the whole baseball world of uh, that we have it, not just in the pro side, but just in general, I think we all just want to get back to seeing, fans in the stands. We want to see players on the field and wherever that may take us um, in 2021, so be it. But uh, I, I do know that uh, we're hard at work and we're preparing as though everything will be like normal um, and we'll be ready to go here in April and we'll be, we'll be suiting up there uh, in our sounds gear and be excited about what, uh, what the season may unfold because we, we do have a good product. I think the work that you guys do there in Nashville and, and then what the fans get to experience night in and night out, it's, it's unlike anything we see, uh, and I've been doing this for, for eight or nine years uh, throughout the minor leagues, and it's, uh, it's fun, and we want that environment back, that entertainment, that, uh, that separation from reality at times, if you want to call it that. That's what we love to do. That's what our fans love to see, and we can't wait to get back to that. One, one element that could look different, and again, I emphasize the word could. Uh, I don't have any inside information. I'm not suggesting that you're going to – uh, share anything that's either known or unknown at this point. But one thing that I think could, if, if, it, if it changes, that fans would notice would be some sort of 
geographic realignment of the AAA level. Uh, not knowing if it's one giant level, if it's still divided into leagues, uh, what it looks like, I, I honestly don't know. But I bring it up because you as a minor league operations director, if you would have players playing for the Sounds next year that would have fewer 6 a.m. wake-up calls for an early flight and more bus rides to opponents that might be closer together, you know, that, that there are, I guess what I'm saying is I think there are some layers that could end up taking place for 2021 that make perfect sense for, for, for everybody involved. And I'm not saying they are going to happen, uh, but these are things that get rumored about. And, and for you as, a, as someone who oversees professional ballplayers, some of that I think would, would be tangible improvement, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, AAA, especially with the flights and Jeff, you've experienced a lot of these, uh, they can be, they can be quite grueling when you have a, you know, 7 PM game and then you turn around and you've got a 6 AM flight out of, out of town the next day. Um, and that is something uh, from our side that we, we would really like to, to fix. And I'm not sure what the correct way to do that is and not what, not sure what the correct alignment is in AAA and, and frankly, all the way down to our low A team, which has a 14 hour bus ride three times a year to, to Lakewood, New Jersey from Hickory, North Carolina. But I think there are things like that that we can do to, to make it better for the players and, and produce a better product for the fans ultimately. Um, but health and wellness, if there's ever a time that's uh, it's more important, it's right now uh, with everything we're going through. And, and I think uh, MLB and, and uh, minor league baseball are working towards something that I think will be better for everybody involved. And I think a geographic alignment uh, will, will likely come up with this in some way, shape or form. And it sounds like, I mean, a lot of this was in was starting to get discussed even before the pandemic occurred. And fair to say that in a lot of ways, the pandemic is either enhancing the reasoning for doing some of these things or at least affecting the conversation of, of some of the layout for 2021. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair to say. And I think, it, I think we all look at it and we all, um, you know, Commercial flights for some of us are unavoidable, but the, the less travel we can have and the more secure we can make uh, our players and our lives at this point in time, I think it, it's best for everyone. So I know they're doing a great job. Talked to a lot of people from both sides of the minor league and the major league side. and Couldn't be uh, more excited about the future. Um, there'll be changes, but uh, we're just excited to get back to playing. Well, you've got some baseball to watch today, and I want to end with a little bit of your background uh, because part of the reason I enjoy doing the podcast, these longer form interviews, whether it's with a player during a normal season or, or on Zoom like we are today, is to bring up topics that we wouldn't normally discuss if you were going to join me on a pregame show broadcast uh, interview during, during the season. We're talking about the players and the season and all that. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you, you are a younger guy who's been kind of quick on the rise the way I, I see your career so far, uh, working for the Rangers and, and getting out of college. I know you've got a business and, and finance background. Give people kind of the thumbnail version of what you wanted to do in the game when you were, when you were trying to make those first inroads and, and what your career has been like for you. How, how enjoyable has it been and how does it line up with what you would have wanted it to be so far? It's oh, a good question. Uh, it, it all starts back and even before I get to uh, where I, where it's been and how, how, where I want it to be. It's, it started when I was in grad school at Ohio University and had to do an internship. Uh, and I was lucky enough to know Mike Daly from my high school playing 
days and and my high school head coach was his bird dog so his kind of uh, area scout for the area scout if you will um and I met him and I was the the catcher that couldn't hit so he was led the league in sack bunts but developed a relationship with Mike and carried it forward Mike happened to go to Ohio University as well and uh, asked me if I wanted to do an internship um in the Dominican and he was overseeing the international world at the time and I'm 22 years old and a 10-week internship in the Dominican. Uh, that sounded pretty good. Um, you know, you hear about the beaches and you hear about people going to spring spring break there. And you know, a baseball guy, you don't really get spring break. So I'm like, man, 10-week spring break is going to be awesome. Uh, three years later, I was still down there. Uh, no, it was great. But uh, the internship turned into a full-time job of running our uh, Dominican operations, our academy, helping out with the scouting side. Uh, player development side and, and it was a uh, it was an experience when people ask me uh, when they're interviewing for jobs or they just uh, doing uh, you know, interviews to see what our jobs are like um, I say it couldn't have been better and that was a, the most impactful three years I've had in my life because it gave me so many opportunities you're literally on an island to do scouting player development contracts uh, running an operation down there from the cleaning supplies to the cooking, everything you have to have your hands on. And you don't get that in a, a everyday um, internship, let alone a full-time job when you're 23, 24 years old. So transition there to in the front office and the money side. And, um, I think uh, where I projected myself is, is very similar to where I am now. Know, having some ability to direct and lead people and that's that's what I like to do I uh, you know whether that's in this role for a long period of time or it's eventually to a general manager position president level position which would be my goal um, ultimately it's about two things it's about creating an environment in which people want to work both on the player side and the, and the coaching side and then also developing our own um, and that's players and staff. But in my eyes, it's it's players from my perspective, or excuse me, uh, staff from my perspective, because I have the most uh, direct impact on those guys. And if you seeing the guys rise from, you know, the Jace Tingler, who was the first manager in the Dominican when I started, to being the manager of the San Diego, San Diego Padres, my second manager was Kenny Holmberg, who is the infield coordinator for us. My third manager was Riley Westman, who is the, the farm director for San Diego. So being a part of that, and being a part of their development as well as some of our other coaches here in the minor leagues, the Corey Ragsdales who, you know, grew up in the system with me. That is what I get the most pride in and, and just being able to impact people um, again within the organization staff and player wise, but also um, when, when fans and, and people in the community, um, I can help make their lives better. I think that uh, that makes me happy. And that's what I get the most out of this. So many, so many layers to your job and I'm not pretending to know all the layers, but I mean, I, I just in conversations over the years and observing from afar, whether it's, you know, nutrition of the players, whether it's travel, whether it's the scouting, the analytics, you mentioned your time in the Dominican Republic. I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but think back to the 22 year old Paul Kruger what would be a topic or a conversation or a decision that had to be made in, in the role you have now that the 22 year old would have said, what does that have to do with, <laughs> with anything? You know, like, I mean, you mentioned the turf earlier, you were involved in the turf at globe life field. And what like, is there anything that comes to mind that, that would give someone an idea of like deep in the weeds? Yes. This still can come to the decision or the, the desk of a minor league operations director as, as unrelated as it might seem to something. 
That's a great question. Um, I would say that uh, the, the building of a dormitory here in Arizona um, would be one that I didn't think I would check off on my resume <laughs> at any point in time. Uh, but, uh, and, then, and then hiring, hiring said staff there. Yeah. Uh, not in our realm of expertise, um, but couldn't be happier with the people we did. Uh, but I think that's the beauty of not only my, my role, but the Rangers organization from top down. Uh, you're allowed to do many different things and your title may be one thing, but you get involved in everything. And, and that's what always has kept me going and it's always intrigued me because um, I'm never one to sit still. Um, I always, my phone rings all the time and, and I enjoy it. I don't like when I, that's why quarantine was tough. I didn't like when I had to stay at one spot. I usually <laughs> in that spot for, for very long, but, uh, but no, it's, it's what's fun. And what's, it's what makes us uh, enjoy waking up every single day, knowing that there's going to be a new challenge, good and bad that we're going to have to deal with. And ultimately uh, it's, it's all about uh, uh, making it better for everybody else. Is your phone ever allowed to be fully off? uh i have not turned off my phone it seems like in about seven years even on the airplane now it's still on uh but no i've got uh i'm i'm always connected i'm always wired and i I remember going to a wedding and unfortunately i had my phone in my back pocket during uh the ceremony and i was one of the groomsmen and my uh my pocket started buzzing Uh, thankfully i didn't have it on but it seems like that's a constant uh constant reminder that uh, this game is like that. Now I, I'm probably on the extreme end, um, but uh, it's, it's fun to always be involved. It's fun to know that people trust you and it's fun to know that people care about you uh, even when you're far away to, to reach out. And I think that's the important thing. Yeah. The airplane used to be the out that that used to be the one excuse somebody had (laughs) for being unreachable. Now there's Wi-Fi. You you better be checking that email when you're flying from, uh, from Arizona to Nashville next year. There's, there's no doubt. You're always wired up. The best flight ever is when you go down to the Dominican and typically the internet goes away an hour. You can fall asleep and not, not, nobody's blaming you for it. <laughs> there's uh, the final thing there's, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot, whether you're meeting a young kid or speaking to a college class or getting emails from people wanting to get into the industry because they probably think you have a really cool job and you do have a really cool job. Anyone working in the game, whether it's the general manager of an MLB team or somebody uh, much lower on the totem pole, you're still working in, in baseball. Uh, what would be, though, a piece of advice or a, a common answer to a common question that you get from folks who think, man, it'd be really cool to work in professional baseball, but where do I start? What, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, so what I tell people a lot is um, where do you start is like finding a, something that makes you different than everybody else. And for me, that was going to the Dominican. It was learning Spanish, and it was expand, expanding from beyond that. I think uh, it's it's an industry, it's, uh, sports in general, or something where you know typically there's a lot of people that want to get in. Um, but it's what separates you, and then what are you willing to do um, to to get in, to get in and then prove yourself. And that's something I learned in grad school. It's don't uh, underestimate your first job, um, but but overestimate what you can do once you get into it. So I think that's the the biggest kind of mantra I take in. And when I talk to people, talk to kids, it's well, what's going to separate you? So if I'm talking to Joe and I'm talking to to Bill, for example, why Joe over Bill, so on and so forth? Um, because they're gonna they're gonna look similar on paper, but what do you bring that may not show up on a on a piece of paper? May not show up in a a quick hitter and. Uh, 
I was using an expression the other day that I learned in grad school as well to our, to our staff here is um, if you're riding in the elevator with the CEO or president and you have five floors and you have 15 to 20 seconds on that elevator with them, what's going, what do you want them to remember you by? And that's something that I, I try to hit on with the, the kids, you know, freshmen, sophomore in colleges, when they talk to me, it's what, when you leave a conversation with somebody that's in that hiring process, what do you want them to remember you by? And that's because that's what's going to stick with you more than anything. And we talk, tell our players the same thing, our staff about our players, our players when they're trying to talk about their plan. And if they can't get it done in 15 to 20 seconds, you're probably not going to remember it. So what's that little key thing that, that somebody's going to take with you, again, on a piece of paper, what have you, whatever way is best for you to showcase yourself. But how can you be different? What are you willing to do? And then how, how are they going to remember you are the three main things. I would think as, as non-traditional backgrounds around the game become more common, there, there are more ways for somebody to kind of weave their way into the baseball world, but also that means a lot more competition. There's never going to be a shortage of people who want job A or job B. Absolutely. And then that's why I think those three things are so important. It's yeah. a, there's so many guys that have you know, great resumes and they've done great things. But again, what makes you uncommon, commonly uncommon? Is you've got to be able to do um, a lot of things. When you when you get started, you're doing a lot of things. You got to do a lot of things well, and then once you do get in, don't overestimate what you can do, um, and, and don't estimate yourself. Final question from from the day in March when the spring training world shut down to now, rough estimate, and I've added a check mark on the list, but rough <laughs> estimate of video conference meetings that you've had. <laughs> Oh, that's a good question. Are we in the several hundreds? Yeah. Uh, easily, easily. Uh, this uh, this Zoom thing, I actually had one yesterday, and I think my uh, my microphone on my computer finally wore out because it wasn't <laughs> working. So I had to shift over to my iPad for this one. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely in the hundreds. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost Zoomed out. I do think this is going to be a new new wave if we do some meetings. And um, I think there's some good in there and there's some bad in there. But uh, I uh, – it's been fun to connect it. And, and I think the best thing about this, and I'll leave with this is, you know, the, the zooms the, for work at times can get old, but I do think one thing that the quarantine and, and it brought for me and, and brought for a lot of people that uh, are in this game of baseball that don't necessarily have the best social life or best connection with some people that they wish they, they, they would have. Um, it brought me closer to people. And I, and if there's one thing I took away from it, it's getting the chance to see my friends from back home or family that, Typically, you may only see once or twice a year and you forget to call because you're already on the road having the phone ring 50 times a day already. Yeah. This brought me a chance to do that. So as uh, as crazy as Zoom is, and I hope we never have to Zoom as much as we ever had to, we ever have to again, um, it, I, I do take away that positive. And it's been fun to see uh, people and friends and that you haven't seen for a long time. Uh, you at least get to see their face. I know what the what, what they're actually what they actually look like, but you get to see their face. Uh, yeah. Well said. Uh, I know your time is always in demand, so thank you for, for carving out some time to join us today. And always fun to talk a little baseball, whether we're in a pandemic or not. Uh, the, the game always survives. And uh, here's to seeing you in person next time on a brighter front. Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks for having me on, and I can't wait to see you all soon. Paul Kruger, Director of Minor League Operations for the Texas Rangers, joining us today on another edition of Rounding Third. 
Thank you for listening to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. For more information about Sounds Baseball and this podcast, visit nashvillesounds.com slash podcast.